Welcome everyone to this episode of this one time at OU. Feels great to be back in the studio with everyone. Roz, how are you? Hey Tim, I'm doing good. Wishing I was in Athens as it's turning fall. It's so pretty there in the fall. Um, But instead I have my sister-in-law here who is a OU alumni from the, uh, she was there during some pivotal years. She has some great stories. Uh, what, 68 to uh, 72. Yes. And uh, her name is Debbie. And I've known her as long as I've known my husband, which is about 30 years. And we've always had the OU bond. So I'm very glad that I got her to join us today. Hi, Debbie. Hi. Hi, Tim. How are you doing? Good. Welcome. Welcome to the show. We're excited to hear about it. Obviously, I already know you're a smart person because you went to OU. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, I majored in sociology, so that sort of uh, sets the stage here. (laughs) Yes, it does. (laughs) Well, great. Are you from the Cleveland area as well? Oh, yeah. Cleveland Heights. Raised in Cleveland Heights. Went to an all-girl Catholic school. Um, where, uh, you know, we had to uh, wipe the blackboards and went down to OU in 1968, of course, fall quarter. I was 17 and, uh, I first lived at Jefferson Hall. Yay, Jeff. Yeah, Roz's (laughs) alma mater. I know that place was pivotal for me as well as for you, right? Like (laughs) I met so many friends there. Did you meet so many of your friends? Oh yeah. I still have my, uh, my best girlfriend, uh, lives in Millersburg and Florida, uh, who I was friends with all through OU and after, of course, till now. Um, anyway, so 1968 was a, a big year, uh, in American history with, uh, Robert Kennedy being killed, Martin Luther King, and uh, so there was a lot of um, stirring in the air, women's rights, um, uh, uh, racial protests. Um, it was very, um, I, don't, I don't know what the right word would be, but a lot of strife All and right, questioning of everything. Uh, and certainly, you know, I'm at OU wearing my little skirts. Jeans were just becoming fashionable because women were mostly wearing skirts and dresses then. What I remember, uh, fall quarter, they had parents weekend and, um, being at Jefferson hall, we had an event for the parents and I think it was 500, uh, girls that lived in Jefferson then. And we all, um, sat or stood, I can't remember on the steps and sang to our parents who were standing out in the street in front of Jefferson. And we own, the whole event was to sing to them. And what was telling was the song that we sang, which was uh, Bob Dylan, The Times They Are A-Changing. I don't know who was crying more, the uh, students who were singing, sending out that message to their parents, uh, or the parents who were trying to understand the changes that we were um, seeing and that the country was going through at the time. Yeah, that's so, that must have been really moving. Right, and that that generation, your parents' generation, were certainly set in their ways, and there was a way you did things and a way you didn't. It uh, The song was perfect for that time period and what we wanted to send the message to our parents that the times were changing. Right. 
the first protest at OU, which followed quickly after Parents Weekend, was a protest against women's hours. <clears throat> this this blows my mind, Tim. Listen to this. Women had to be in on weekdays at 10 p.m. and weekends midnight. Men had no hours that they had to be in, of course. Ah, oh, terrible. So, so thank uh, God you changed it. <laughs> that was our our first pro, our first protest I ever was involved in where all the women walked out. And I don't remember if it was at the 10 or the midnight hour that we walked out in protest. Uh, and of course, all the men walked out because they all wanted to watch us out there. And uh, <laughs> nevertheless, um, my parents were sent a uh, disciplinary letter from the dean, or I think they called him dean then. Yeah, they're still deans. Okay. Um, you know, chastising me and telling them that I had violated uh, their rules or whatever by uh, violating their guidelines of the hours. Well, what was funny is like uh, the next year, uh, which would have been then 1969, they announced that they were going to have the first co-ed dorm fall quarter 69 at Scott Quatt. Um, and they also got rid wait, of... Wait, wait, did the hours change? Yes. Okay. Oh, Just yeah. making sure. I'm sorry. I okay, they got trouble. I wanted to make sure that Well, happened. I mean, we, we thought it was such a big deal to have a co-ed dorm uh, because at Jefferson, if they allowed you, I think it was once a quarter where they allowed men into the into Jefferson or at girls' dorms, and they you had to have your door open so many inches. I think it was like 12 inches a foot. So that uh, when the resident assistants would walk by, they could check to see that you had one foot on the floor. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you could not trust those men, <laughs> uh, but you could trust them to be out all night. <laughs> <laughs> what was also funny uh, in 1968, I don't know how much it held into 1969 because there was so much change happening, but uh, I know for sure in 68, on Sundays, all the women had to dress in a skirt or a dress, and the men had to wear ties for Sunday dinner. <laughs> that is yeah. something. I think a lot of campuses, women didn't wear, did they even wear, they always wear skirts? I... Yeah, it, jeans really came in more in 69. It was a big deal for women to wear pants let alone jeans. I mean, it was all dresses and skirts. So it uh, was a, a, it was part of that requirement. So you were a real rebel just wearing jeans. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was a a big deal. Yeah. So moving on to 69, when I moved into Scott Quad, of course, first co-ed dorm, it was a big, exciting thing. Uh, But the RAs would, you know, uh, hang out in the hallways trying to catch the guys trying to sneak up the stairs into the girls' rooms because, of course, they weren't allowed there. And it was just a constant battle of waiting out the RA so that she would go to bed so that they could come up to your room. So, like, uh, <clears throat> you know, it was so funny because you we would peek out to see if the RA was still there, and the guy would be at the bottom of the stairs peeking to see if she left to see if they could run up the stairs to come up to the room. 
So there's all this running back and forth. Uh, and well, when I was first in Jefferson, we also weren't allowed men in. Oh. Um, the first, uh, the way it worked when I was there, the first quarter you couldn't have men. And then we all took a vote uh, to decide if we wanted to let them in the second quarter, which of course everybody said yes. So I totally got busted having men in the room. And we'd be like, hide under the bed, you know, or stuff like that. <laughs> and now Jefferson is co-ed and... They all visit, you know, visit each other. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Anyways. In, in uh, 1969, <clears throat> you know, the war was uh, at, at full tilt. And um, uh, people were, of course, the men mostly, uh, and women, but they, of course, were a primary concern of being drafted because they kept lowering the qualifications for drink, being drafted. You would get a deferment. If you were married, you, uh, another deferment. If you had kids, if you were in college, if you made a certain grade point, they wouldn't draft you. There was, uh, you know, oh it, it God, kept the going. They kept mean, going down and down and down until it finally, uh, we're going to draft any of you. Now, did co- I would imagine colleges saw a spike for some people just not wanting to be drafted. Was that true? That they would fight? No, they would see a spike in attendance. They- Oh, they more oh, people. Oh, oh, yeah, there. definitely, definitely. Um, but she's saying that started to go away. That wasn't even working. Uh, then anymore. the deferments were going away, and you know, I already mentioned that you had to keep up a sort of grade point. And anyway, by December, uh, December one was when they started the lottery, which was a on live TV. I was in the basement of Scott Quad with many people watching you know, on the old-fashioned black and whites. And um, there was a huge bin that uh, this man would spin and pull out um, a capsule in which contained a number which would correspond to a, a month of M- and, and the date from uh, 365 days so that you would all each guy would be given a number uh, as to <coughs> whether or not they would be drafted. They went up to two fifteen uh, for who got drafted to Vietnam. Just as an aside, right? And didn't you but, say that people had their number on their forehead? Yeah. So that night, as every yeah. every guy was given their number, they all had on. I guess it was felt tip pen, you know, whatever on their foreheads. Uh, with the number that they were given in the lottery. And, was, I mean, was, just seeing people with low numbers, your heart would just break because uh, you knew that they were going to go. Was there anyone, any sentiment that the kids wanted to go? Anybody? Or they're all no. absolutely... No. I mean, we had ROTC on campus, but I'll get to that later uh, when we hit 1970. Uh, nevertheless, the... Um, Everyone, Vietnam was considered to, to be the, a, a war with no reason, that we shouldn't be there. And uh, the more we learned about it, the worse it was. And we, so it wasn't just like we were protesting because we didn't want our friends or they didn't want to go to Vietnam uh, to fight for the USA with a flag. It was, we all felt in our bones this is a wrong war 
And right, we, not not against the military, but right. against what? Well, the but the military. I, I've been in the military. I, I retired last year, but they look at the Viet, Vietnam as a as a mistake, and they say, "Hey, we made some mistakes here," and that was the first time they kind of admitted that publicly as well. Well, that's good to know. A lot of my uh, friends were under threat, and a lot of tension in the air of what they were going to do for the physical. And one of my friends, he starved himself for like a month before the physical so that he would be emaciated. They try to not pass the physical. Yeah. Take all kinds of drugs, tell the doctors or whatever they were gay because that was an immediate out. Uh, And now I think they're not allowed in. I think, isn't the military now they kicked them all out? Well, yeah. Last year or so. Right. Yeah, that was, that's crazy. That's but crazy. Nevertheless, then, that was one way to get out if they believed you. That's funny. Yeah. And so there was a lot of, people were just scared, frightened uh, that they were going to, to die uh, over in this uh, country for well, had a very nothing. high casualty count. It's a good reason to be frightened. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there was a lot of sentiment that this was a civil war. Uh, some of our protest chants, one of them was, Ho, ho, Ho Chi Minh, Ho Chi Minh is going to win. And uh, he did. Um, and even as we chanted it, we didn't even think that was a possibility. So it wasn't that we were just, you know, didn't want to go to war because we were babies. We were knee deep in, in what was going on and being knowledgeable about it. Right. Right. I believe it was the first war that was kind of on TV, too. Right. right. That was a big and part of Walter it. Cronkite yeah. was a, a big part of right. uh, of showing Vietnam on TV. Dan Rather was the um, our hero uh, at the time because he pushed uh, Nixon at, at press conferences. And uh, sort of like today, our press conferences of today, where there's all this tension of the media asking very pointed questions and it was Dan Rather who um, was the leader of the media at that time and was fired. But they were showing Vietnam every night. Uh, my mother even uh, threatened that she was going to shoot the toes off my brothers. I had twin. Bro- I have twin brothers, so that they wouldn't have to go to Vietnam. Now, I she there were no guns. We didn't have guns. <laughs> but, right. Uh, they we still don't have guns. But nevertheless, that was her, what she thought the only way for them to get out of it. Right, that's she, how crazy things were. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, and Debbie, uh, my husband's one of six kids, and um, four of them went to OU, which is why I loved the family right away. And uh, at the time that Debbie's there getting involved in the protests, her sister is two years older, and... Uh, is in a sorority, is a pie fi oh. And so it's kind of, it's, and Debbie will tell the story of what happened the night it closed. Uh, but, you know, here, her parents had these two totally different OU students. Yeah, I, I didn't know you wanted me to go there. <laughs> uh, my sister, she said, was two years older. So when I went to OU, um, she was in pie fi uh, living at the pie fi house. And I was like, what the hell is that? I didn't even know what that was. But once I went over there once, I went, oh, boy, I don't want to be here. I can't wear jeans here. Yeah, this is, this, <laughs> these are not my people. I bet none of them wore jeans. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, one day, it was either 68 or 69, I was uh, sitting on the main green with a bunch of my hippie kind of friends. And here comes my sister. She's going to listen to this. Well, That's nice. okay. It was a long time okay. ago. Just tell the story. Well, she nice. came uh, <laughs> running up with a few of her Pi Five friends. And I'm like cringing, going, oh, no. And she goes right into, you all are going to vote for Pi Five for homecoming queen, aren't you? And we all just like, eyes were like huge, like big dinner plates. And they're looking at me and looking at her. And I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> And she sort of walked away then because, you know, it was the last thing we were thinking of, you know. (laughs) I mean, we didn't even know what really what she was talking about. Uh, And I was, you know. Yeah, it seems she was talking to her talking that it was very more polarized then. Like, I had friends and sororities and I had all sorts of different friends. Um, Didn't you, Tim, like a bunch of different kind of friends? Yeah, it was just a different, oh, he isn't a big Greek college really but people did belong right she was saying how it's much more um it was so polarized because of the political climate at the time you you were either the you know long-haired pot-smoking hippie or you were the you know frat boy like you there wasn't a lot of in between right there were frat bars and then there was the hippie leftist bar which was the union bar and <laughs> And Still which going strong. <laughs> Pardon? Still going strong. I know it's the same. <laughs> Although it's, I don't feel like it's polarized. I feel like people all hang out with each other. But it's yeah. There's certain. There's definitely certain bars that certain people. <laughs> yeah. I love the union. <laughs> well, Did they have bands back then? Not in the union. It was too small. Uh, when I was there, it was the only bar with with bands. Really? The upstairs. Oh, they built it upstairs. Oh, I didn't know about an upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I worked there, but that wasn't until 1972 that I worked there. Oh. Uh, in fact, the owner of uh, the Union Bar and Grill put money towards bailing me out for a marijuana offense. Uh, that was 72, but nevertheless, he was a great guy. Nice guy. Yeah, I was really grateful. Uh, anyway, so they had the frat bars, and then they had the Union. <laughs> and... Um, and it was a great fun place. Uh, a lot of discussion, political discussion. Um, it wasn't like go in and get drunk. It was go in and discuss things, hang out. It wasn't like a frat bar, let's just get drunk and then go puke out in the street. It, <laughs> it, there was nothing like that. That's uh, all Tim ever did. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's, but people were dying then too. It's a little different. Yeah, I mean, we were very right. We were very serious. We were threatened. It was, um, and sort of like my sister didn't feel that at all. Um, nor I did I think that the frat guys felt it, and maybe they were, you know, came from wealthy families and they knew right, they would they were get also out. In, it, they just thought yeah. they would get out of the draft. You think because they were wealthy? I don't. I don't know. Uh, how interesting. What was wrong with them? Right. We need a guy's perspective but in this era. We tried to stay away from them. <laughs> uh, okay. And I was just kidding about Tim. He did. He was not a frat boy. <laughs> yeah, I didn't throw up. Oh, you threw up, I'm sure. There's no way you were there for five years and didn't well, throw up. Well, you know, <laughs> uh, pot was uh, certainly the the 
um, the intoxicant of choice for the uh, leftists there. Yes, as it still is and for all OU students. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that maintained, truthfully. <laughs> oh, it's legal there now. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. I know. I did tell uh, one of the narcs when I was in jail here for my 13 days that you're going to regret this one day. It's going to be legal. And he's like, oh, right. You know, the narcs would come up to my little jail window and he would have a wig on and say he was going to go out and find uh, people to bust and he was going to try to look like a hippie. I just, I could not even believe it. (laughs) Is Uh, this an OU? Yeah. Well, tell me about that. 13 days in the pokey. 13 days in the Athens County Jail. Uh, yeah, what's the story behind that? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, my boyfriend was uh, selling... He's dead now, so, you know, it's not like he's going to get in trouble. Uh, nevertheless, yeah. he, he was selling pot, but nothing big, just a, a pound, so he would have one ounce to himself, to friends. His um, brother-in-law was arrested for some something awful in Columbus, like heroin or something, which was totally not part of our lives, uh, and turned him in as a way to get out, off. Uh. And he built up a big story that uh, Gator, who was my boyfriend, that was his nickname, uh, was uh, dealing. So uh, we were living in Albany there. Uh, I was the only girl in the house. And the rest, uh, my boyfriend and then three other, I think it was two or three other guys lived upstairs. And uh, they um, came busting through the door and came into the bedroom. It was like, I don't know, three in the morning. Uh, We didn't hear them because we were all totally out. And with a big flashlight in our faces saying, this is a bust. And I'm naked under the blanket going, oh no, oh, shit. this can't be true. <laughs> and and uh, of course they weren't going to leave the room. So I'm holding this blanket around me. And uh, it was a big deal for me to find my clothes and my shoes. And I'm almost like, wait, wait, <laughs> don't leave me. Anyway, um, Gator had like a rubber alligator, maybe like two feet long. And for some reason, that they thought that was filled with heroin or something. <laughs> so they took a knife and slit up this poor alligator. <laughs> anyway, that's all that was there was this pound. And I think they were so frustrated that they just trashed the whole house. <clears throat> the mayor of Albany was outside watching. Uh Nevertheless, everybody got off except me because uh, they wanted to get my boyfriend. And um, so the sheriff, uh, one um, night after I was arrested, took me in his office with and says, well, <clears throat> I, I really don't want to ask you this, but uh, would you uh, tell us like uh, other dealers? And I'm like, no. He goes, I didn't think you would. So I would have gotten off, I guess, if I would have given names. Yeah, you're not a nerd. You did the right thing. You did the right thing. Yeah, or oh, they wanted me to sign that it was his pot and not mine. Uh, Eventually, we had a uh, meeting with the prosecuting attorney uh, and this deputy sitting there named Ralph, 
who says, oh yeah, during the arrest, you turned to me and said, yes, this is, this is my bot and this is my uh, pipe. And I'm like, I'm not stupid. <laughs> There's no way I said that. And he goes, oh, you did, you did. Uh... So um, eventually, since I wouldn't sign, they said, if you don't sign, we're going to uh, give you charge you with a, a felony and, uh, you know, selling and ha- having a house for, I don't know, all these charges that the boyfriend had. And uh, I had this lawyer who was getting nervous. <clears throat> and he said, well, if you fight it, you're going to have to find another lawyer because I don't want to be responsible for you going to Marysville. I, I believe he was a uh, professor as well as an attorney in town. Uh, so I, I got out and, uh, with bail and trying to get the boyfriend out, we actually got an OU professor. I think he was, um, anthropology. Uh, he might've been Chinese, but he was known to help, um, the pot people who were arrested for pot and would put up his land as collateral. Wow. Yeah. A professor. And I went right into his classroom while his class was on and going, oh, could I talk to you? I need you to help my boyfriend. And he (laughs) went out in the hallway and he goes, does this have to be today? (laughs) And I said, well, how would you feel? Would you want to spend another night in jail? He's like, no, you're right. So uh, he got us the signed whatever and I got the boyfriend out. But the boyfriend had like two felonies. I only had originally just possession. But they were threatening me if I didn't sign, they were going to give um, these other charges. So anyway, I I refused and um, I basically had to plead guilty to the possession, which gave me my, actually it was 14, I got one day off for good behavior, uh, 13 days in jail at the Athens County Jail, and um, they, um, it was just one room, a large room that, with a window that uh, you could peer out and see the uh, deputies, the main desk, right there. In Athens, the one in town. Yeah, Athens uh, County Jail. Interesting. And, <laughs> and uh, they, uh, they, um, uh, I had a roommate who was arrested for a DWI, she was a townie, and uh, she was arrested not just for the DWI, but she resisted arrest. And oh my gosh, I could tell once she got in there. And so we had a lot of fun with sending messages, sliding papers under the door. You know, we're coming out in five seconds. <laughs> we're calling the cops, you know. How fun you had a friend. <laughs> was That's really, classic OU, right? Really silly. Yeah. We then had, friendly. you know, all these Even magazines the like... Back then, like McCall's, where there were a lot of uh, advertisements of food. And so we went through all these magazines looking for anything that had pig meat, right? So bacon, pork rolls, pork chops, and we put them on the wall with gum. The pictures of the pig meat, (laughs) which was really, wasn't the best thing to do. Trying to win over the police, I see. (laughs) Yeah. Well, at the time there was a, uh, like an underground newspaper at OU where they had printed this huge picture. It was for Halloween, if I remember. 
maybe not. Anyway, it was a big picture of the mayor's face, which we cut out and we put it on that window, the one window we had that looked out uh, so that when they came to our window, all they could see was the mayor's face. (laughs) (laughs) We were a little bit, we tried their patience. Uh, And they had control of the only light that (laughs) <laughs> there was a light, only one, and they had control. So we were like, I know you don't. So somehow we got up high enough and, uh, you know, would turn the light, the light, the bulb, whichever way we wanted it. Right. And so they didn't have that much control. <laughs> All right. Oh, that's hilarious. All right. So I we got to get to... There's more to that, but we need to get to 1970. Because that's the okay. year that <laughs> right, because... all the colleges closed. Uh, So Nixon's elected in 69, and he's kind of with the thought that they're going to get out of the Vietnam War, but then he uh, the following year invades Cambodia, and that's what kind of started everything. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm getting to there. Oh, Um, sorry. Oh, and um, just to get to the fall of 1969, uh, there was a peace march in Washington, D.C., and I don't know if OU chartered the buses or... What? But all the buses were at OU. I think there was at least five, uh, and I paid or whatever. I don't even remember what it was, but um, to join to go to the peace march in Washington. Yeah, that was November fifteenth, sixty-nine. Uh, it was the largest uh, protest ever then at that time uh, <clears throat> in D.C. It was called the uh, moratorium to end the war. They dropped us off at the. Arlington Cemetery and gave us a placard with a string around it that we would put around our neck. It was like a, you know, two feet wide placard. And on each person's sign, it would be a name of a soldier who died in Vietnam. We were also given a candle and we uh, walked from the cemetery to the Capitol to the White House. And when we got to the White House, um, there was a big coffin there right in front of the White House in which we would yell out Nixon's name and then the name of the dead soldier and throw it into this uh, coffin in front of the White House. Uh, Anyway, uh, then it was uh, getting uh, lighter outside because it was still dark and um, we decided to go look at some museums, you know, And we were in the Smithsonian. We heard all this ruckus going on outside. We could hear all these voices. So we ran out there, and from what we uh, were told, that somebody from the SDS, I don't know if this is true or not true, but had thrown a bucket of red paint uh, against the Justice Department. Is that the name of a protest group, SDS? Students for Democratic Society. Ah, uh, oh, and I forgot to mention that. I went to one of their meetings in, I think it was 68, uh, and they were, you know, very radical group. <clears throat> uh, and, you know, me, I thought, wow, you know, I want to go see what this is like here. And I felt so diminished that because they were so bright, the people in the room, um, so knowledgeable about Vietnam. And uh, I was really oh, just blown away by how smart they were and how much more I had to learn and was, um, uh, I don't know what the word, but um, uh, just amazed at uh, SDS. 
Right. So this is the beginning of the year. You're setting up the beginning of right. The, of that the was November sixty term, nine. Term, term, whatever that word is, tumultuous year. That's the wrong word. Turmoil, something like that. <laughs> okay. Turbulent, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um. And so that's the fall, and that whole year is just what. Uh. Well, then it turned nineteen seventy, right? Right. Into the spring, and the tensions are high. Oh yeah. Um. Uh, let's see if I missed anything for a. Okay, I think we're good. Um, in 1970, we're, a lot of protests started happening. Uh, they were called sit-ins. And it sort of cracks me up because I'm thinking maybe we were tired of marching. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was typically on the main green. And uh, they would have speakers. And we would, you know, sit there and listen. And so they were called sit-ins. So there would be signs saying, sit-ins, you know, March 3rd, whatever. Oh, right. I would totally be down with the sit-ins. <laughs> Sit yeah. in the green, smoke a little, mm-hmm. listen to some speakers. Oh, yeah. Was there ever any music? Well, sure. <laughs> uh, and then we also had flush-ins, uh, where at a certain time and day, the whole campus would flush the toilet at the same time. <laughs> and those were called flush-ins for peace. Yeah. <laughs> Did that, like, I, I always read, like, urban legend that that would make the whole plumbing explode. Did it really? I don't know. But we Could all... Did you part- use the toilets later? Or were yeah. you screwing yourself over? I, I don't remember it causing a problem. Oh, okay. That's kind of funny. I don't, I don't know if they're You'd all, all be looking at your watch, <laughs> and you'd all have a toilet. Yeah. And then, that is just funny if you think about the logistics of that. It's totally stupid. <laughs> a flush-ins for peace. And Ohio State did that, too. Uh, they also uh, would epoxy glue the doors to the uh, class buildings so that you couldn't get in even if you wanted to get go to class. <laughs> uh, we were not against the college. This was all demonstrations to end the war. And it was becoming a, um, a movement across the country that uh, sort of an agreed-upon compact that we were all going to close all the colleges in the country in protest of the war, Ah. uh, which we were all very adamant about doing that. Right. Okay. You had a question? uh, No, I just know that uh, Kent State was May 4th. All right, I'm getting that. 1970. Yes. So, but then OU closed on, it closed like a couple days later. Yeah, it was very quick. Oh, May 15th. Right. Well, you know, there was a thing with the ROTC that we didn't want ROTC on campus. You probably know about that. Um, Wait, what was that word? No, ROTC. ROTC? R-O-T-C. Oh, Tim. No ROTC. No. We didn't believe that there should be any military on any colleges. To us, it was like a college is sacrosanct. You don't have any, you know, military involved uh, on a college community. Oh, wow, that's so interesting. And so it wasn't just OU that uh, I think all the colleges went after the ROTC buildings. There was like a small little hut that was the ROTC building at OU. And uh, I knew uh, the guy who went and uh, set it on fire. It was like a small little hut. Nobody was in there. As I don't think anything was in there. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it was on fire. Uh, that's a side note. 
Um, also at that time, I told you I was uh, majoring in sociology and I went into one of the classes just to see and the professor had put on the chalkboard in huge letters, evacuate. And would ask us, what are you doing here? History is being made. Get out of here. So, oh, you have some cool professors. Even every class was um, had a lean towards the left. Even my Spanish class. I mean, we would read Che, stuff about Che and Cuba. <laughs> uh, so there was like no escape from the um, atmosphere of learning not just Spanish, but also how it had affected uh, other peoples of uh, less fortunate and uh, the politics of it. Right. Um, let's see. Uh, well, I can imagine that'd be scary as a young college student going in and seeing that. And you're like, wow, this is real. We need, you know, what's going on? Probably a lot of information wasn't getting passed around and you couldn't check your phone. Yeah, and there were some really good left magazines, and um, I think I still have them in a trunk in the basement. Of course, Rolling Stone uh, was huge, and uh, magazine, and another one that I recall offhand was Ramparts, uh, was really integral for information uh, about the war. Uh, I passed out black armbands at the gate, college gate there. This was my sophomore year at OU, still at Scott Quad. April 30th, Nixon announced the invasion of Cambodia. Even though um, we all knew uh, that we were in Cambodia, but it was a secret. Uh, you weren't supposed to know, but he finally admitted to it. And um, it was a huge, um, it was just a, this dramatic increase of protests. Right. <clears throat> Not just at o OU, but across the country about going into Cambodia because then we thought now it's, you know... Right, all, they're expanding. Yeah, yeah. Expanding the war and the draft. And um, so the uh, protests really took off with the sit-ins, the flush-ins, all of that going on. And so there was a, um, like a magazine newspaper store that would use their front picture window, their front window with flyers they would paste up of, of things going on. And on May 4th, they put up a notice uh, for students killed at Kent State. Right. And which uh, just, you know, of course, triggered even more uh, protest and upheaval. Uh, and they, you know, Kent State had the National Guard there. The dean at OU at the time uh, stated that he was not going to bring in the National Guard into OU until the school was closed. He didn't want anyone killed. So it was basically, you know, these county county sheriff deputies and locally around Athens County that came. And it was sort of a silly thing, you know. They would throw a tear gas canister and the students would throw it back at them and depending when it would go off would be the party that would get sprayed or however. I'll remember that next time I'm doing this. Just yes. throw it back at Yes, them. throw it back. Good uh, advice, people. I, of course, I, I hid at uh, Scott Quad, actually. Well, what fascinates me when I was researching this is that 
at 3.10 a.m., OU announced that they're closing, and you all had to be out by uh, noon the next day. Like, yeah. how crazy is that? Uh, yeah, well, the, the dean was, um, he didn't want anyone hurt. He didn't want anyone killed. And I wish I could remember his name because what a wise thing to do. Uh, even though there were protests, he was like, no way the National Guard coming in here. Uh, and it was a, a wonderful decision on his part. So, um, and nevertheless, he closed the school. We were given uh, the 24 hours to get out. My sister called my dad, of course, at 3 a.m., with Debbie rioted and closed the school on my own. <laughs> I did that. Uh, and my dad was just like, oh my God, I'll have to get down there right now. Debbie, he calls me. I heard what you did. I'm coming down there right now. <laughs> if I see Gator, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> well, we were all laughing because we were celebrating. We closed the school. And uh, Scott Quad was out of control. There were guys on bicycles selling LSD. They had a LSD uh, little uh, pieces of paper on their hats, you know, LSD, $3. And So everyone figured they're getting kicked out. They're just going to party oh, yeah. in the last it couple was, hours. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was out of control then. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we're all packing feverishly, and uh, I'm with my boyfriend, and uh, my dad picks me up first and my boyfriend, and we go over to pick up Kathy, and all the pie flies are crying and crying. The school, the school. And my sister's like, I'm not going to have a graduation ceremony. And of course, my boyfriend and I are laughing our heads off. And um, on the way back on Route 71, my sister has to go out of nowhere. All of a sudden goes, and Debbie smokes pot and took LSD. I'm like, oh my. I'm like slinking down. Me and my boyfriend are like, oh God, can we somehow jump out of this car? So we kept giving her the finger. Uh, I didn't mention when the National Guard came the next day, they were every six feet, like every parking meter kind of thing. And uh, with, you know, their big guns. And Danny and I were in each window giving them the fingers. We were driving out of town. Well, that's tough for the, the National Guard kids that were in the Guard because a lot of them joined, too, as maybe protests. Cause if you remember the National Guard, you didn't um, get drafted. And so they were not necessarily, you know, wanting to be there either. It was uh, tougher for them particularly. We didn't have that feeling because they were the ones that killed the students. So, Right. Uh, and I understand, you know, that was a whole debacle. But we didn't have any sympathy <laughs> then. Now I certainly get it. But Yeah, I mean, information was slow to get around then, too. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we had dial-up phones. Yeah, I mean, you, you believe what you saw in front of you, and that was it. That's right. Um, I mean, we weren't throwing stuff at them. We were just giving them the finger. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I do that once a day to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still get it all the time, so it's all right. Uh, um, but we were, you know, me and my boy were just snickering in the back, thinking this is, this is so great. We were so happy and excited uh, that the school was closed. 
Well, you know, I want to wrap this up, which has just been so cool and interesting, to uh, say that I learned tonight that Debbie met Rosalind Carter, my namesake. That is the best story of all. And Debbie, I know, we need to have you come on that. again for the second part of this because that seems like you got more to tell. We've only been through two years of college. <laughs> well, um, I had moved over to Chillicothe after OU. Yeah, she stayed in, in the area for a while. Right. We She's were, one of those. <laughs> we were uh, evicted, the boyfriend and I, from the Albany house because of the big drug bust. Uh, and so we moved over to Chillicothe. And he was from there originally. And uh, I was working at the then called welfare department, which certainly has a lot more class than job and family services. Right. I mean, really? Call it call the department job. It's like you have a mop. Uh, nevertheless, um, I uh, befriended uh, another worker. She was the wife of the mayor of Chillicothe. I don't know why she was working there, but she looked like Elizabeth Taylor, you know, and she was always spraying the doorknobs with Lysol. You know, she was very... (laughs) She was ahead of her time. (laughs) She looked like Elizabeth Taylor. And anyway, she was a big Democrat because the mayor was, and um, she asked me if I wanted to go to a um, a get-together uh, where Rosin Carter was going to be there. Uh, and I'm like, well, Not Jimmy. yeah, no, Jimmy. no, no, Jimmy, no just Roz. And it was like, uh, you know, in this nice done basement at, uh, in Chillicothe. And I got to meet her. There was like, not a lot of people, there maybe 10, 15. And she was exactly what you can imagine what she's like. Southern genteel lady, um, just, you know, with a golden heart. Uh, I was uh, very just blown away by meeting her and just feeling her vibes in that room. And uh, what just a like wonderful the Roz person. next to you now. I know. And now she's hanging out with another Roz. Oh, well, that is awesome. I love that my nickname is based on someone that you thought so highly of that you actually met in person because... Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. Well, thank you, Debbie, for uh, telling all these stories. It's so interesting to us. Um, and that's some, some crazy times you had at OU. And so, I don't know, just just unique. Man. Uh, I'm really grateful I got to go to OU during that time period because uh, it was such a, so full of um, ideas and change and so many things needed to be changed. Gosh, in the late 60s, women couldn't even have a... My mother couldn't have a checking account. She couldn't get a loan. She, uh, the world was so different. And it at that time, between 68 and 72, was just this huge changes going on. Uh, and I'm not even uh, doing justice to uh, civil rights and in that avenue. But, um, but yeah, OU was... You were there, you you know, you was there for you. And, and what what would have happened to you if you didn't go there, I feel like. It was very, you know, right? Although there are protests everywhere. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> thank you, Debbie. I love our OU bond. And uh, it's so nice to talk to you. You guys all have a great night. And maybe we'll do a Debbie part two where she can cover the last right. two years. Thanks, Debbie. Thanks, Roz. <laughs> Bye, Tim. Bye, thank everybody. You.